I am on a mission to help organizations drive long-term success and results by implementing an unshakable transformation model. This model puts the employee at the center and works outward to support every aspect of the human experience in the workplace. Welcome to the Human Method Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bond, founder and CEO of the Bond Consulting Group. This podcast is designed to explore incredible guests as experts in a variety of professions and experiences to learn more about the tools that will transform an organization one person at a time. If you are seeking to improve yourself and how you live your life, or an organizational leader seeking to make a larger impact on your company through culture change, then this podcast is for you. If you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can chat with me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. Be sure to subscribe and get easy access to future episodes. Thank you and enjoy today's episode of The Human Method. Join me in welcoming our next guest, who has 30-plus years' experience working in the retail industry and has experience and proficiency in operations, management, customer experience, product supply, talent development, and change management. His career spans over four decades in department stores, grocery stores, and now financial services. Working in leadership and executive development, He has led teams and organizations through mergers, acquisitions, bankruptcies, natural disasters, economic collapse, and recovery. Achieving all-star status in two Fortune 100 companies, he continues to champion for conscious capitalism and talent development. A diversity and inclusion advocate, he attended both historically black and white universities in the South. And he also serves internally as a D&I consultant and business leader. He supports minority groups and family recovery organizations in his local and global communities. His academic background includes liberal arts and organizational development. He has degrees in both with a focus on education. A certified Barrett CTT tools consultant and value-based leadership coach, He is currently exploring and studying integral development and recovery, supporting his ongoing goal towards servant leadership in our interdependent global communities. He was learning and development coordinator at Whole Foods, where he developed and implemented conscious leadership and talent development programs. He is now the AVP of learning and development at Travis Credit Union, a financial services company, And he also facilitates various presentations on leadership and transformation in the workplace and in your personal life. Please join me in welcoming a dynamic thought leader and pillar of transformation and dear friend of mine, Tom Henry. Tom, welcome to The Human Method. We're so happy to have you. Uh, Well, greetings and thank you for that warm welcome, my friend, Megan. Oh, with all of that, I've, I'm actually a bit tired hearing all of that after many, many decades of all that work. But as we both know, the world is waking up and we are waking up with it. Whether we are young, middle-aged or old, 
the world's waking up. And so I'm looking forward to our dialogue today. Thank you for inviting me. Me too. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for being here. And um, I, I love how you brought up the generational piece right away. I think that's one of the really special things about our friendship is that we do come from d- different generations and we have just grown to really, well, not even grown. I think immediately when we met, we felt an instant connection. Your kindness and warmth is palpable. And I continue to learn from you. And it's been, what, five years, 10 years? How long have we known each other? Uh, We've known each other for about seven years. The magical number seven. Oh, good, good. Well, and I have to tell everyone, so before we dive into picking Tom's extraordinary brain, um, Tom and I first met, we both worked at Macy's in Cincinnati when it used to exist, when one of the headquarters used to be there. And our first day on the job, Tom had been with Macy's for a while. He had been part of the learning and development team. I was stepping into the learning and development team, and Tom and I were appointed as partners. We were going to work together and facilitate virtual training, which at this time didn't really exist, wasn't really a thing, um, or at least wasn't a big thing. So we met... We got along instantly, but the point of our friendship where we really knew we were bonded for life, no pun intended, was when we got stuck on an elevator together. And I think that was week one of knowing each other. And I completely freaked out. I had a huge panic attack in the Macy's headquarters in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, And Tom, you really, you got me through that. We were there for what, 45 minutes? (laughs) And and what you haven't shared as part of that, that, uh, (laughs) drama we got to experience together was we had about 10 other people in that same <laughs> elevator with us. So it wasn't like we had this space in there. And then she, you also haven't shared that, at least for me, and I think for you as well, we're not really the most, you know, non-claustrophobic people. We like space, you know. <laughs> so, so it was amplified, obviously, but it was such an endearing moment because the way you responded and because you really did go to this fear energy we'll talk a little bit about today, really triggered in me that, oh, it pulled me so into the present that my own fear abated. Because if it had not been for you, I would have been the one freaking out in that (laughs) elevator. But I realized in that moment that we have these 10, 11, 12 people in this elevator. Megan is really in distress here. All we have to do is help her talk through this. And we did. And we ended up, we ended up, I think we I remember we were like playing Trivial Pursuit. We were doing all kinds of things to divert our attentions. But it worked. And more yeah. importantly, we now have not only a lifelong relationship, as I would say, I think this is an eternal relationship. I agree, Tom. Oh, you're so special to me. And it's really special that, you know, in launching this podcast, you're one of the first guests on my show. And like I said, that I get to share the magic of what is Tom Henry with the rest of the world because it is such a gift to know you. And um, I want to draw out some of our great conversations in today's conversation. And, and let's just jump right in. There was a lot of talk about conscious capitalism when I was sharing your bio and your background. Will you do us a favor and tell us a little bit more about what conscious capitalism is and why it is so meaningful to you? Well, in popular uh, culture, uh, conscious capitalism was a term used and pretty much brought into uh, uh, the uh, leadership and the organization development cultures through John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods with Raj Sisodia, who is a professor. 
And they actually codified a lot of the business practices that had come around in several cycles. Um, you know, I'm, I've been around long enough now that I've seen this. Back in the 80s, there was a, a whole movement towards, you know, people, the people side of the business and engagement. And you had, you know, all these different companies all working on what makes productive teams. And we'll talk about some of that today. But Conscious Capitalism was a book that was brought out about, so it's probably now 15 years ago or, or close to that, 10 to 15. Um, and it really does solidify what does a conscious business mean? If you're gonna run a conscious business, a business that has balance, a business that can go the distance, a business that balances all the needs of the organization, it really then has these four tenants that John and Raj have really articulated pretty in a pretty basic way. You can get this with just reading on the internet what it is, you'll get it. You'll get it from me just giving you two minutes here on it. But it really is any conscious capitalism business um, really is defined by, they, they champion four tenets. The first one is that the company must be about more than just making money. It must have a higher purpose. Now for Whole Foods, their purpose to exist is to nourish people on the planet. Well, that's John. That's not only John, it's the company that he built. It's also all the people who work there. Everybody who works at Whole Foods, from the person who just comes in and is picking for that Amazon Prime that's going to show up at somebody's front door you know, within an hour, they have their own individual higher purpose. Why are they working at Whole Foods? But then how does that fit in to this higher purpose of Whole Foods to nourish people in the business? It is what, to me anyway, as I speak, because I am also a board member of Conscious Capitalism here in the Bay Area, um, it is to me the fundamental thing that your business cannot just be about making money. It must be about a purpose beyond that. Now, that doesn't mean money is not important. It is foundational. It's the price of entry. You must make profit. But that profit cannot be just to make more profit. It needs to be in service to this higher purpose. All conscious companies have that. The next tenant is it has a stakeholder orientation. Um, and this is a little different. Most people think of a stakeholder orientation as sort of a, what, you know, in negotiation, you learn about a win-win, you know, philosophy or a win-win mm -hmm. strategy. And in win-win, you have this duality between you and the other. And what you're looking at is how can I create a situation here where we both win? Now, in conscious companies, that is also needs to be in place. But again, it's just the beginning. A real stakeholder orientation means I see my needs equally as important as your needs are so that we now are fully together. I see you as me and I'm just as likely to call out the deficiencies in what were our business arrangement of that are bad for you as you would be and maybe even call them out ahead of you because we're really looking here as we are this one integral organization working together to meet our purposes, right? Then the next thing is conscious leadership. No company can be a conscious company without conscious leaders. And what conscious leaders are is they're people who see that businesses are not necessarily about just making profit. They, they have to be good managers. But from a leadership point of view, these are the people who are the store, stewards of keeping that business on its higher purpose. They, you know, they'll reject the, the, this idea that the, you know, there's not enough, this uh, deprivation mentality. They see opportunity everywhere and they help those who follow them synergize their own energies and all of our stakeholders now to serve that higher purpose. Tremendously powerful, different vision of leadership. And then finally, cult, conscious culture. 
conscious culture is is the way things are in that company as all cultures are every company defines its culture usually with between six and eight this is who we are we're about this we're about that we're about that uh, you know this kind of stuff but in reality the kind the culture of an organization is always the total sum of all of those individuals in that company of how they operate together right you can say that you're all about people as much as you want but if you don't invest your your in the people in your business as much as you say they're your number one priority, if they're not your number one financial investment, then your people know that that's not the case. And they also know that the real culture here is that money is more important than we are. So again, very classic example of how nowadays a conscious culture, conscious a conscious culture. No, we know that culture is learned. It is not something that is necessarily genetic or static. It is dynamic. It's always changing, but it's really all about the way that people interact together. And conscious companies have several types of characteristics. First one, of course, high levels of trust, high levels of accountability and transparency, a huge one, transparency, because that makes people feel like they can actually feel like they can trust you because they know you and they see who you are, right? Has integrity, has loyalty, um, the egalitarianism, that we all feel like we all together share in the in the success of this company and then fairness and then again love care and personal growth john right now is even talking about bringing love back to the organizations that's um that's really a, a down and dirty about three four minutes on conscious capitalism mm -hmm. and what it is yeah and th i think there's a lot to unpack here i'm really interested in a couple pieces and first i want to start with the second tenet of conscious capitalism, which is stakeholder orientation. When you say stakeholder in this sense, what does that mean? Who are the stakeholders? Anyone who has an interest in what your purpose is that you're doing and will align their purpose with what you were doing. So that means customers, employees, it means leaders, it means vendors, it means the entire suite of anyone or anything, including the planet as a stakeholder, mm -hmm. right? Because I want to make sure I am being good for the, for the earth, right? If I, you can't have a stakeholder orientation if you're going to be polluting the area, the communities that you actually are working in, right? Because the environment itself is a stakeholder. So I'm widening that lens a bit, but traditionally it's really thinking that any, anybody who has an interest in that purpose is now one of your stakeholders. Yeah, and I think that's an important distinction because in corporate America, we've been trained to see stakeholders as our senior leadership team. And getting their buy-in is the most important thing. It, it seems that this work of conscious leadership is, is almost the antithesis of ego and also the antithesis of some of the command and control culture that we're still seeing um, a little bit today. So how would you go about or how would this work transform a senior leadership team or maybe an individual that has found success in being profit-driven, data-driven, uh, focusing on getting results through um, spreadsheets and, and fast facts rather than taking the time to really connect with people. What's the, what's the need for the change? Why would they even want to? Well, first of all, they're going to want to do that because the data tells us that companies that are that are primarily about profit don't last. They can get short-term results, but they don't last. Uh, even you and I have worked in some mm -hmm. of these companies, and we've seen what happens 
when your leadership makes it all about the shareholder mm -hmm. and not about the customer, right? And a customer knows that when they walk in. A company can say, we're all about the customer service, but then just last week, they eliminated the customer service department, right? You and I have seen these things. Mm -hmm. We've worked in companies that are like this, right? And they haven't replaced it with something that is innovative, that fills that need. They've just eliminated it. Why? Because they're trying to make more profit. Why? Because they're about shareholder value, because they want to prop up their stock, right? So like even nowadays, like, like what we're seeing in the world today, we're seeing a, a alignment right now of uh, intervention from other sources right now in companies, where when companies are given enormous amounts of money, they don't reinvest it back into their company. They don't reinvest it into their people. And what do they do? Many of them buy back their own stock, right? This is not a healthy thing. If you're working in a company and you see that they're taking the money that they're getting to drive the business and they're buying their own stock back one time, two times so as part of a wider strategy, yeah, that can be a, an acceptable thing. But if it becomes the thing, it's toxic. And it does, you lose focus on your customer, you lose focus on your people. And your people know it. Where, where do people wanna work? They wanna work in companies that care about them. They wanna work in companies where they can meet their own higher purpose, right? Now, the primer on this for all those, you know, who really wanna see the business case for this is in Raj's book that he wrote before Conscious Capitalism, which is called Firms of Endearment. And all the mappings are in there and he really shows the firms of endearment companies um, and there's a list of them, so between 15 and 20 companies that have these conscious capitalism characteristics about them. And then he tracked them. He tracked them against, um, you know, the uh, Fortune 100 companies. He tracked them against all kinds of different metrics. And in Raj's book, he spells this out beautifully, where conscious companies will outperform two to one, three to one, and four to one in many cases. Right. So this is a lot of stuff articulated, not just by John and Raj Sisodia, but also by Jim Collins and good in good to great built to last. All of these concepts are there that when you have a fully balanced organization that balances the needs of its customers with the needs of its employees, with the needs of its business units, then if you can balance those effectively and integrate them in such a way that they're all serving that higher purpose, they'll outperform every time. And you will also attract many people who want to do the kind of work you were doing, the right people, right? I couldn't when agree I, more. When I interview people for to work on my team, whether it's at where I currently am right now at Travis Credit Union or at Whole Foods or even at Macy's, I always want to find out what, why do they want to work there? What is it that is going to be there? And if they're coming there for the money, Unless it's transactional work, like I'm selling shoes and I'm making commission and stuff like that, then that's fine. Money's a good motivator. But for engaging people, this is all laid out in Daniel Pink's book, Drive. Money is actually produces less results when you have complex jobs. Like those kinds of jobs are driven and successful and organizations that focus on that are the ones who develop their people. The individuals and the organization, when they develop that, they get tight engagement. And what's the rule of thumb about money with, with on a job, as Daniel Pink says? It's that you have to pay people enough so they don't think about the money, right? 
you can't just continue to pay people more, pay people more, pay people more, and think you're going to retain them. Because at some point, if they don't care about the purpose of the company, or it's just to make money, there's somebody else. You know, this is like in the dating world. You know, there's always somebody prettier, always somebody better, right? If it's about that, then you got the wrong person working in your company. Unless that is what your company is about. But I don't know about you, but I don't want to work at those companies. And apparently, most talented young people today don't either. Yeah. I want to go back to your point about balance. There, there, it can't just be people only, profit only. There has to be a healthy balance. And, and customers, too. Um, how would you coach an organization that wants to make that shift from a profit-oriented company to start focusing on people and profit and the other aspects of, of a more conscious organization? Well, there's two key things that come up for me right away when you say that. The first one is, what is that company's higher purpose and do they have one? Mm-hmm. Right. And so if they don't already have one, um, they might want to look to see why, why did their company even start? What was their company doing? What was the reason for that company? You know, when I was, you know, I was born in the 1950s. And in the 1950s and 60s and 70s, we were in that boom after World War II. Right. And many companies were coming. Well, at that point, time, companies, when they were chartered, um, they had to have a purpose uh, that served the community. What is the interest of this community to have this business, right? And so they wouldn't allow just any company to come in and open up in Pittsburgh or San Francisco or whatever. They only get their charter once they would then state their business case. And the business case can't be, I'm coming to Pittsburgh to make money. It couldn't be. They wouldn't be chartered. It had to be something that would serve the community. What is it you're doing, right? And so uh, it's obvious what that purpose is for restaurants, for healthcare industries, for um, you know grocery stores like Whole Foods, these kinds of things. But then once what that company should be looking at is there within their fun, their business, what is the business that they're in? What is it? Is it a people business? Is it a product business? Is it, what is it? But then what do they offer to the community? that is better than what anybody else does, right? This is Jim Collins stuff, right? This is your, you, you first look at what do you do better than everyone else? And then what's your BHAG, that big, hairy, audacious goal that you're doing, right? And Whole Foods has this already in place. I, we have it in Travis. You know, at Travis, our purpose is to create value in every interaction. That's what, we, that's what our purpose is. We want to develop lifelong relationships with our members at a credit union. And we are now many generations in. We're having our 70th anniversary this year. And so we now have the grandkids and even great grandkids of some of the people who originally joined that credit union back 70 years ago. So you can see that's, if you want to start to change a company, you got to first look at the two things. One, what's their higher purpose and do they know it? And then once you have that clarified, then do you have the leaders who Mm -hmm. can accomplish that, right? And if the leader's values do not align with the values of that higher purpose, you will not get there because companies don't change. Leaders change. When the leaders change, the companies change. That's the way it works in the values when you start looking at what's underneath the values, what drives the motivation, and then what drives that energy of what I call that collective, the collective consciousness. How do you align that? How do you get people's, you know, they talk about winning people's hearts and, and, and minds, right? Right. I'm talking about winning their souls. You know, how do we really get people aligned with who they are, what they're being? How are they actualizing in the universe and come do that with our company? Mm -hmm. That's a retention plan. 
that that blows anything you could possibly come up with from an analytical point of view or intellectual point of view, right? Absolutely. And Tom, it brings me to the, this idea of, you know, when I think of people going into work for an organization, that, that maybe you have the organization that's figured out its, its higher purpose, they have the right leaders in place. How do you get your people to do their own work on themselves to actually know what they want and what their personal values are so that they can then connect to the company? Because I think that that's another piece of all of this is, is the individual work to then do the work for the greater cause. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, this is part of the work I do with the Barrett Center um, that is all around values and how do you map all this stuff. So, um, you know, you, we could do a whole series of podcasts on this, but I'll try to give you at least the basics of how do you engage an individual in this work, right? So let's start first with the premise of what we all learn when we really try to do this. And when we try to change other people, we find out, guess what? You can't change other people. The only people that can change people is themselves. People change. Leaders don't change people. Leaders change themselves. And when they change, everything changes, right? That's the way it works. Same thing with an individual. The one thing I have said in my entire career, if I get apathy, I cannot deal with that because people don't want to. They don't want to change. They don't want to. to they don't see that they need to change, right? So if I want to help people to change, I have to start first with, do they want to change? And if they don't, then I've got to figure that out. There's some great examples, you know, throughout my career I've seen of this. But the one thing, you learn it here, you learn it in your relationships with your friends, you learn it in your marriages, you can't change somebody else. All you can ever do is change yourself. So now me as a consultant, what I'm going to do is I'm going to look at that organization and I'm going to, as we just said, I'm going to find out, do they have a higher purpose, right? And it may get down to, okay, they just want to be all about making money. I'm going to say, you got the wrong consultant. There's plenty of those guys, you know, that are the quants that'll show you how to exploit, you know, if you want to, right? You can do that. And that's what most companies tend to be doing, you know, over the last 10, 20, 30 years. Um, but if you want to actually, if you really do want to change and you really do have an alignment around your higher purpose, Man, I can work with you. Mm -hmm. I can absolutely work with you and I can show you how this maps. Now, here's how it starts. It starts first with yourself, right? Whether you're the leader or whether you're the first person just new to the company, you're going to be looking at what are your values? Where are you in your own development, right? So in the first part of your life, you are just born and most people don't know this. You know, this is kind of, we're going to get into a lot of stuff here, but I'll unpack it as quickly as possible. But when you were first born, most people don't realize when a baby's born, it doesn't see itself as a separate individual. It sees itself as the entire universe. And those of you who have children or, or are around children, you know, at around 18 months, that, that child develops enough that when they look in the mirror, they can finally go, oh, that's me. Because up until then, they don't even realize when they look in the mirror that it's them. They think it's somebody else in the universe out there that they're all connected to. And so that's the beginning of that individual. As soon as that individual suddenly sees itself as something separate, then we, they begin then that journey, what I will get into later, called the hero's journey. Who are they, right? And the rest of the world's telling them who they are and all this stuff. But in reality, that child has to figure out who they are, right? Nobody's going to change them. They're going to grow. And as people inflict and try to change them, guess what happens? 
as that child grows, if it doesn't fit that context, it's going to begin to start to expand beyond that when they start to figure out who they are. So I'm going to get under that if I'm going to try to change a person and enlist them in this work. I want them to first see who are they? What are they all about? What are they trying to do in their life? Not just what are you trying to do in this company? What are you doing in your mm -hmm. life? How does that align with what we're doing here? Then I'm going to know that I have to, from a needs and values point of view, and I'm going to summarize this very, very high level. But when we talk about values and needs, motivations and all this stuff, there are two sets of, of uh, values that we look at. We have basic needs and values and we have growth needs and values. And in between those two is the stage where we've transformed from the basic needs into the growth needs, right? And so I'm going to want to know, where are people's needs right now? Are they basic needs? And those are physical and emotional needs, right? When you talk, when you look at the research around what makes a great performer, what makes a great team, the number one characteristic that neuroscience is telling us is psychological safety right? You can't grow if you're living in fear. You can't. So, and, and, and that includes in yourself. Are you in your own thought patterns living in fear, right? You're going to have to deal with that. Those are basic needs. You must have psychological safety. You must have your physical needs met, right? But then once you do that, and if I see on your journey, your basic needs are already met. And now you're going, oh, I can do more. I can be more. I can be a manager. Oh, I can do all these other, I could actually go do this kind of thing. I could accomplish, I could start my own business, all this stuff, right? <laughs> They're individuating at that point. They're beginning to see, oh, I can do more than, than this. But guess what happens? Then they go to their growth needs. Okay, to be able to do that, how do I do that? Well, fundamentally, you can't do that as one person. You've got to now connect with the universe, other people, all of the resources that are out there, all the energies that are out there. How do I connect and tie into that so I can now step into that, what I call that journey from I to we or me to we? Right? depending, many call both of those. And when I'm going to pick somebody up and I'm going to work with them, I want to know where are they on that journey between me and we, because there's a lot of literature about the me stuff. I call that the hero's journey there. And at the we stuff, the literature really is just all around servant leadership, but there is a huge space between I want to be more and do more. And it's just, boom, I'm going to be the servant leader. There's a lot of stuff that happens there. So once I know all of that, I can start to look at helping that person identify what are the things right now that you're working through so that you can change. So you will now show up differently in the world. And guess what? The world will be different because you're showing up different. Mm -hmm. We all have this in relationships. You ever notice how when you uh, have a mindset shift and you show up now and suddenly invite another person who was resisting you and now suddenly you don't go in and you don't risk, resist anymore. You just go in and you authentically really are trying to open up to, okay, let me understand this deeper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And suddenly that person responds to you differently. You weren't expecting that response. They suddenly yeah. open up to you. That's, you have changed yourself. You haven't changed that other person. Mm. Right? That's how we do it. That is, I, I couldn't agree more. And I've had those experiences time and time again. And um, I, my question to that is, what is an organization or what role should an organization play in supporting someone in their development? I understand that when someone is in that growth phase, of course, through training and development and different tools, organizations can support. 
But what if you have people that are still in that I or me phase that are dealing with their own personal psychological fears and, and challenges? What What's the expectation or the capacity of organizations to support those people? Well, if you want to do this work, it's it's full end. That is the purpose, right? Your organization is is only as good as your people, and your people are only as good as your leaders. So, you know, there's a lot of things to unpack in that. But basically, it is a critical, it's critical to the foundation. You cannot be a conscious company, and you cannot be one of these fully integral, balanced companies to meet all the needs if you don't develop your people. And keep in mind, the way this works in terms of the physical universe, we just I shared a little bit about how that baby is 18 months old. And you spend that first 30 years of your life basically in your basic needs, just figuring out who you are and how to make a living and what country am I working in and how do I make sure my needs are met, right? doesn't mean that you're not developing all this other stuff, the spiritual needs and all that at the same time. But when you do a values assessment, when you really want to see what does this person value, Almost always, you're going to see a lot of energy focused on meeting those basic needs, mm. right? And so you that's going to be the majority of your people. So mm-hmm. now, how do I now work with my organization so more people can fully actualize and become more of these me, we balanced people? Mm-hmm. And then they can operate together collectively. We see this in nature as a natural phenomenon. This is the way ant colonies work. They're not thinking me. They all they know their role. They're in their role and they're doing it. They're not all trying to be the queen bee because they know that's not who they are. Right? Right? And so everyone in the system works together integrally. Right? The other story here that's amazing, and this is what unpacked it for me when I saw this, it was so powerful. Don Tapscout has a, a um, TED talk, and it's all about the about the starlings. And these birds, we've all seen these birds that fly in these very intricate patterns, right? And some of us have seen the videos where these where these flocks of birds will form these patterns that will that will then fend off and create barriers for predators that are trying to get into the flock. And they'll move around and do these patterns. Now, here's the question with that. When you see those birds all operating together as this one unit, but all those individuals operating independently with their own little bird brain, their own little bird survival needs right in there, and they're all operating together, who's the leader? Who's the leader in that case? And the leader is always in microseconds a different group or individual, a bird. They constantly tweak. They're constantly dynamically operating together. Why? Because they're connected to each other so closely. They can see and they know as a collective group what is needed in that moment. And they don't make a choice. Oh, I think I'll fly left. I think I'll fly right. They just act with full awareness. The most intelligent thing they can do because they have spent their entire life existence learning how to operate together as a collective consciousness, right? This is what you want your company to do. Don't you want your company to be able to all align and work together and become the most authentic version of who they are in these roles and develop them so that you can put them in the role that best suits where they are in their Mm -hmm. development? That's what you want to do. So there's a lot, there's a lot. I want to, to go forward, I want to go backward for a minute and talk about the individual experience. 
based on everything you've shared in the fact that we're always evolving and transforming and things are changing us and our interactions are changing and our perspectives are, are, are slightly different than they were the day before. Do you think we ever really know who we are? Or do you think it's more about having a core set of values to guide us in our journey as we constantly evolve? Yes and yes. I think we know who we are, but I think we forget. We have moments of insight. All of us do. Everyone has moments where they feel completely confident in who they are. They have those moments. Some would say it's a spiritual moment. Some would say it's an intellectual moment. It depends on the, the, uh, the, the lens you're looking through, right? We can look at this through the physical lens. We can look through it through the psychological communities. We can look at it through the emotional communities. And we can look at it through the spiritual, right? When, so when you say, who are you? I do think this is the challenge right now we have as humans on this planet at this time in our evolution, is we have forgotten who we are because once we began to individuate, we began to separate, and we began to start to look at ourselves as these individuals and not as this connected collective consciousness, not just to each other, but to the universe itself. That's when you talk to people who do spiritual work, who do really in, you know, integral work, they will tell you, you want to see people who know who they are? They, you know them. You, we know these people. There are people who know themselves as these physical beings. They know who they are. We know people who know themselves as these emotional beings. We know people who know themselves as these intellectual beings very clearly, and they're in their lane, and they got it, and they know it. And then we have these spiritual masters, gurus, people who speak the wisdom of the ages, right? And then people who are fully balanced, right, who do all of that. Underneath that, each one of us is one of those people. We're all born a genius. We just get into an environment where noise and all this crap gets attached to us. And frankly, most of us, once we get into those basic needs, if those basic needs are not met, what will happen is entropy and fear-driven energy will come up. If I'm, if I am, my basic needs aren't being met for food, you want to know my number one value? It's going to be food. Because that's my number one need in that moment, and that is not being met. And if that is prevented from being met, a lot of bad stuff happens. Just read Les Miserables. A lot of bad stuff happens. You don't meet people's basic survival needs. But then beyond that, right, when we're talking about the me stuff, is psychological needs. I got to have, have healthy relationships. I got to have people who validate who I am. I have to have people help me see who, I, see who I am. Because one thing we learn from the spiritual communities is you cannot transform yourself. That is beyond you. There must be a source outside of you. And what do we call that? It doesn't matter. In conscious capitalism, you call it higher purpose. In 12-step in communities, they call it higher power. In companies, they call it their purpose, right? That's what transformed people beyond this because every company I've ever worked in, I've had to coach people and say to them, and many of them, probably over half of the people I've worked with, they end up leaving these companies because they don't really fit what that person's trying to be and do in their life. But yet they're not at the development area where they're ready to face that yet. And be, why? Almost always it's because they haven't met their basic needs aren't being met. Well, I got to have a job. I got to have my money. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to have the Right. Right. You can get people beyond that. Then they can blossom the way they're supposed to. Right. 
you know, Michelangelo used to talk about that people, you know, like we're all these beautiful statues of David out there, but we have all this stuff attached to us. He used to say, I don't carve the statue. I just remove all the stuff that's attached to what's already there. Right. And that's what real development, when I want to really look at me becoming who I am, mm -hmm. that's that kind of work. Right. Now, when we, when we raise kids in the West, in the Western world, most parents, most, um, most communities, they keep telling people who they are. You need mm -hmm. to be this. You need to do that. Here's yeah. what you are. You, who do you think you are? Blah, 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 all this stuff. Right. Now there are some tribes that don't do that. Right. There are some tribes, some African tribes that when a baby's born, the mothers whisper in the ear, become who you are, become who you are. They don't say be a doctor, be a lawyer. They say, become who you are. And they keep saying that till they see what it is that has been given birth, you know, in their, in their space that they're living in at that time. It's a totally different way of being. And frankly, it helps people then individuate and get better clarity as to who they are because they have the space to find out, right? Right now, there's so much fear-driven energy. People are just caught up in the noise, mm -hmm. right? And so we are at a crisis point right now. Um, and I will tell you though, we have already learned Things like what's going on in our world right now with pandemics and economic collapses, these are all wake-up calls. And the companies that are surviving are the ones who are waking up and seeing that the way out of this is to build organizations that are authentic and can operate at a higher level, right? Because you can't continue to think the way we did before all of these crises, right? Yeah, everybody knows the hero to zero. If you haven't had at least one hero to zero in your own career, you ain't pushing yourself. Everybody gets heroes to zero. You're a hero. Everything you do is gold. If you're an actor, you're winning Academy Awards. And then two years later, boom, nobody wants you. You can't be hired, right? Or you're in a company. You're an all-star. I've been, been at twice in, in companies, right? But then shortly thereafter, boom. When the context changes, everything changes. Right? What worked then will not work now. Doesn't mean you forget what you did. This is all integral. You carry that wisdom with you, but you have to apply it now in a new context. So now that's what now companies are doing now. They're learning, how do I respond in a world right now where my people are in crisis? How do I meet their basic mm -hmm. needs? Right? That's what Fight for 15 is all about. Right? That's what it is. And, and that's why those who do this work know, you know, there's, this is another beautiful example about the values of the company or the values of the leaders. For the six years I was at Whole Foods, that company was fighting this fight for 15 in all the local markets. We had it in San Francisco. Fight every minimum wage, 15 bucks an hour. Got to do it. Oh, seven ways from Sunday. We can't do it. Here's why. Blah, 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 blah. Just continually noise, noise, noise. Mm -hmm. It's not going to happen. We're not going to do it. On one Friday afternoon, Jeff Bezos announces to the world, every company that's in the Amazon family will have a $15 an hour minimum wage starting now. Figure it out. Hmm. Guess what? Every company and every employee of any Amazon company now has a $15 an hour wage. Now, guess what? Now, you asked about the numbers. Let me tell you the numbers. When at that time, Whole Foods stock was selling for like six, seven hundred bucks a share. It sounds like a lot of money, right? Well, let me tell you, it just closed at thirty two hundred dollars just 
last week. 3,200 bucks, right? That is a return of almost five plus in less than three, four years, right? Now, it wasn't because of the $15 wage hour, but it clearly puts to bed that it's going to bankrupt the company mm-hmm. and then we're not going to be successful anymore. Not only did it not happen, they were highly successful in a pandemic, in an economic collapse, mm-hmm. and they're paying 15 bucks an hour, right? But more importantly, if it were left up to the leaders, it wouldn't have happened until the leader says, we're not about this anymore. And then guess what? The leader shows up differently. Everything is different. Mm. And it was, and it is. Do you think those leaders were acting out of a lower level of their hierarchy of needs by rejecting this, this idea? Yeah, you know what? I don't ever try to guess what people's um, motivations are. I let them tell me. Mm. Um, I would like to think, and I do give the benefit of the doubt, and I think what I say is I don't care what it comes. If it was the right thing to do, what drove that, I'm just happy it's happening right? Because it was the right thing to do. So yes, the, some of the, you know, and when you, first of all, let me put to bed this whole thing idea about lower and higher needs. All needs are equally important, right? The ones that are most important are the ones that you have right now, mm-hmm. right? right? And so it yep. isn't lower or higher or better or worse. It's about balance. Yeah. You have to meet your basic needs and then you have to, then, then you can do your growth needs, but you can't just do growth needs and not basic needs. Yeah. That's like, you know, the quintessential, you know, student in college who's starving to death and having to eat peanut butter for four years while they're getting their doctorate degree. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's not a healthy balance, right? How do we do it so that you can have this balance to meet the basic needs and the growth needs, knowing that the only way you're going to be able to do that and be balanced is you're going to have to also have these transformational needs. That's where that space is between those needs that I have versus the needs that are the growth needs mm-hmm. that I have in the organizations I work with, right? And we can't take our eyes off either of them. But we can do assessments to figure out where individuals are and companies are by simply asking them what are your values? Yeah. Because when you tell me what you value, I can tell you what your needs are because your values are always driven by your needs, right? And those will shift because your needs will shift. And that's when we move up through this me to we, once your basic needs are met, you're going to suddenly value, how do I now grow? How do I become more than what I am? How do I work with these people I want to work with? How do I join these companies that are making a difference in the world? How do I now become part of this universe of opportunity that's out there, right? Now, I'm speaking very, you know, oh, yeah, this is all so easy. It's not. This is the work. This is difficult, difficult work. And it doesn't require generals out there in the field. The generals need to make that decision that, okay, this company is going to be about 15 bucks an hour. But it's the sergeants in the field. That's what I say I am. I'm more of a sergeant in the field out there doing this work, helping people understand as individuals, as teams, as regions, as full companies, how do I now build my company so that it's what we would call one of these conscious companies that then can go the distance, right? Because we know they do. They're Mm -hmm. the ones that will survive. I agree with that. And I I think, you know, going to your point about its work, it is tremendous work and it's work on a daily basis. It's not a one and done type of situation. I also think that our needs will fluctuate um, throughout our lives. I'm wondering, 
How do you move from all of the noise that you talked about, all of the distraction that that pulls away our focus from our needs and or our values? How do we wade through all of that noise to really identify what our needs actually are? Because I think that's a piece that a lot of people struggle with is um, we can look at our superficial values and say, well, based on what people say I should be or based on social media, these are my values. But you really, I think there's work to get to the core of who you really are and what you really value. So how do you do that work? How would an organization do that work? It's always, whether it's an individual or an organization, number one, it's about the higher purpose. What is that higher purpose? If you don't know that higher purpose for yourself and the company you're in, that's where the work begins. You can do all this other work and you can do all the business stuff and yes, you can and you can, you know, but you're going to constantly be living in fear and you're not going to be able to prioritize. How can I as an individual in a complex system ever prioritize what I'm going to spend my energy on if I don't know that company's higher purpose and my own? I've got to know those because everything then will then be contingent on what that higher purpose is for myself and the company, not one over the other, but both together, Mm -hmm. right? And that's what you want. That's what everybody is so hungry for in the world right now. They want to do purpose-driven work. They want to become more than, than just this individual. They want to be part of something that is good, not part of something that's taken people down or taken the world down. So once I know that higher purpose, I can in any given moment say, okay, times are tough. It's nasty. It's ugly. But here's what I can do where I'm at in my level. This is think global, act local, right? So what do I do? If I happen to be the leader at the time, I show up in a way that's fully authentic. Now, here's a great example of this, where there was no fear-driven energy in a very dramatic case, but it's timely. And it really shows this example in place. If I know my higher purpose and I can be facing literally, you know, the worst challenges a human can face, which is losing your life, I can be in complete serenity and complete uh, presence and act authentically in a moment and it will change the world. That is what happened not once, not twice, but repeatedly for Martin Luther King. This man knew his higher purpose. He knew what he was supposed to do in the world. They shot at him several times. They threw bricks through his window. They did everything they could to get in his way. And the day before he died, he did that famous speech where he said, I may not get there with you, right? But we will get to the promised land. And he stayed focused. Again, he stayed aligned with that higher purpose. He knew he had to show up in Memphis at that time when he did. And he knew that the bullets were going to come flying at him. But guess what? That man wasn't walking around in fear, you mm-hmm. know, thinking, oh, I'm going to get shot. He even said, I may not get there because he knew, he knew it could happen. But I can tell you right now, from what I can see, when that man was shot, he died completely aligned with his higher purpose. And man, did it change the world. And he did not lose any energy in the work he was doing, worrying about people who were going to take him out. Mm -hmm. He didn't. He spent all of that anxiety, all of that energy 
on making a difference and actually getting out there and working with others who wanted to do that higher purpose as one collective unit. And look what happened. That's the I have a dream speech. And it seems to me with this, this higher purpose as a guide, not only do we have a clear definition of our values, but we're also to eliminate, we're also more able to eliminate the waste that gets in the way. Yeah, absolutely. Because you know not to pick it up, Mm -hmm. right? This is detachment. I just, I see all that. Yes. But I don't spend any energy on it. Why? Because I don't value that. Yeah. I value, I know who I am and I know that I'm going to get there. You know, this is the, another amazing thing I saw this in action. It's just amazing. There was this um, uh, on the on uh, Ta- Jim and Tammy Baker. You know, these are the the Christian the Christian leaders that started PTL and and you know all almost everything that's on the 700. They started 700 Club, all that stuff. I used to think Tammy was so fake and that she was just so oh my god. You know, I really just I was thinking she was tacky. I mean, you name it. I thought all this stuff about her, and then I went to go see her. And when I saw her in a church and I saw her sharing the message that she had. Now, this was a woman who did very many, many controversial things. You know, during the 80s, when the entire um, you know, Christian community she was coming from was shunning gay people because of, of HIV and AIDS, she brought them in and loved them, embraced them, interviewed them, shared with the world the struggle these people were going through. Right. Um, and then she had her own battles. Right. She had all what the the collapse of all that whole system that came down and what she had to face there. But let me tell you, 48 hours before she died, she was interviewed by Larry King. And you can see this on on YouTube. Her her, she did an interview with Larry and Larry says, you know, and she's dying of cancer. It's like her third or fourth bout with cancer. She's so weak. um, And I mean, and you can just look at her, you know, this lady's not going to be around very long. Um, and she, Larry, she's, Larry says to her, Tammy, you know, you've been talking about people going to meet Jesus and do you really think you're going to go to heaven and all this stuff? Tammy didn't blink. She didn't even make those big eyelashes bat. She just looked right at Larry <laughs> in the camera and she said, I know I'm going to be with Jesus. <laughs> and you could just see the clarity of what that woman, she knew who she was and she knew what she was all about. And when you do the research, you find she did some pretty amazing things for some, you know, young girl from the hills. Yeah. Tom, this is incredible stuff. And I I think we could, I mean, you said it, we could spend a whole series on on this and and breaking everything out and even more. And I'd like to preemptively invite you back for another (laughs) podcast at some point. Um, But to wrap things up, my last question for you is... If there was one thing our viewers could take away today from this conversation, um, something that they could actually begin to apply in their life and start to to see some shift, what would that be? What do you want people to walk away with? Um, I'll give you one, one that, but, but also one tactic that will help you with this, mm-hmm. right? And of course, what I'm going to say is what I just spent most of the time talking about. Know your higher purpose. Know that higher purpose. Share that higher purpose with others. Continue to develop and actualize yourself. Get Find a way to get your basic needs met so you can be and do more, right? Right? Do that. And for me, 
what I do in my practice is I try to help people understand their values so they know where they are on that journey and they can start to begin to focus some of that energy. Now, in the Barrett work that I do, Barrett actually provides a simple assessment that anyone can do and take their own values assessment to learn more about where are they currently spending their energy? What are the values that they're doing? And they will learn some really interesting things about values. All you have to do is just Google personal values assessment. And the number one thing that will pop up is the Barrett personal values assessment. And you'll pick uh, from a list of about 100 values. What are the 10 right now that are most important to you? And then those values will be spread for you absolutely free. You'll get a little survey back that will show you. Are you spending, where are you spending your energy now? Are they on these basic values? Are they on these growth values? Are they on these transformational values? And it'll also give you just a little bit of things to think about as you start now to do your own growth, because we both know we're not gonna change anybody but ourselves. And so what I would say is I would let me invite you to begin that journey for you, wherever you are right now, and get to know yourself even more authentically so that when you show up, you become even more powerful because you are aligned with the universe. And Tom, how can people get a hold of you if they if they want to learn more about the work you do? Very easy, LinkedIn. So just Tom Henry. All right, perfect. Well, me on LinkedIn. We'll share the link virtually um, for this podcast so people can reach out to you. Um, Tom, once again, thank you so much for for being with us today and. Just so our viewers know, because I want to put this out in the universe so that it, it actually happens. Um, Tom did commit to me prior to us starting this podcast today that he was going to visit me in Pittsburgh. So he's in San Francisco. He's committed to me that he's going to visit me in Pittsburgh. Um, and we're going to have a fun weekend and do a second podcast. My hope is that by that time, this one, um, the human method will, will be live. So we'll be able to actually see myself and Tom interact. Uh, but I, I would like for our viewers to hold Tom accountable as well as myself to making that trek uh, so that I can catch up with a dear friend in person. Okay, I put it out there, Tom. It has to happen now. Can you hear my little doggy in the background who's saying, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yes, and bring the dog. We love dogs in this household. It will be a fun time. Oh, um, <laughs> let me tell you, do dogs are like, they're, they're, they're the only beings that live fully in the present. And oh. They have unconditional love. So with that, I, I try to extend that to you and all your listeners as well. Thank you for a lovely dialogue. You know, we say in my community, all transformation occurs through dialogue. So that's what I would ask your viewers. Have that dialogue with others, with yourself, mm -hmm. and then with people that are doing the work you want to do. Right? That's Fantastic. how you get there. Yes, yes. Thank you, Tom. Thank you all. And we'll see you soon on The Human Method. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Human Method Podcast. I am Megan Bond, and if you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can reach me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. I also want to thank Ayla Zimmerman for design and promotion of not just the human method, but our Bond Consulting Group site as well. She is a kick-ass designer, so please check out our site at thebondconsultinggroup.com. Sign up for our newsletter so that you can receive great content from us. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss our next episode. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme for the show, as always, is to be a little bit better each day. So remember, be better today. <laughs>